It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. When is a doll more than a doll? The answer is when it becomes part of the culture, and when it becomes part of the culture for generation after generation. My guest is Karen Fetter, the curator of the new Turing Barbie exhibition, Barbie, a Cultural Icon, 60 Years of Fashion and Inspiration, located inside the shops at Crystals, and open to the public through March 30th. For ticket information, go to barbieexpo.com, and for everything about Karen Fetter, go to entertainmentexhibitions.com. Karen, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So how did Barbie become such a cultural icon? Well, you know, so we first meet Barbie in 1959. And what's, what's been fun for me about this experience is that I wasn't a particular Barbie fan when I was a child. I didn't really have the luxury of owning a lot of Barbies. But during my work at the Nevada State Museum Las Vegas with their costume and textile collection, I was working with a man named David Porcello, who, amongst the many things that he has collected over his lifetime, uh, has been a vast archive of Barbie fashion. And his goal with this collection was to collect every single Barbie fashion that was introduced from 1959 through like the mid 80s. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pieces. And at some point in the last five years, I went to his house and visited this collection and thought, oh my gosh, this is something. I don't know what waiting to happen. And when COVID hit, I thought, you know what? I wonder if there's an opportunity during this downtime with the museum to revisit David's Barbie collection and share this with the public in some way. And so I reached out to our exhibition partner, who is Illusion Projects, and broached this concept of, you know, we've got this fantastic archive. And what we're really interested in talking about is Barbie fashion. And we've got a little bit of downtime to develop this. And what do you think? And so that's how that's how it started. So there really is this really great Vegas connection because both David and I and Illusion were all local. And so the fact that our first leg of this Barbie tour happens here is very special to us. But the focus of this exhibit really is on her fashion over the years. And what is fascinating to me as a fashion and costume historian is to try to figure out why her fashion is significant. Why is it that we have such a relationship still with Barbie all the year, these years later? Why is it that we look at a little outfit from 1969 and everyone goes, oh, I remember that. And like, you know, it just evokes these memories and you're immediately taken back there to smells and sights and sounds. And so this, this exhibit really takes a deep dive into fashion and tries to 
pair certain moments in time, whether it is a cultural happening or a runway, a fashion designer runway happening, and to say, this is why this Barbie fashion happened at this year, right? Because in the previous year, say on the Yves Saint Laurent catwalk, this outfit was walked down the catwalk and was advertised in Vogue magazine. And it's likely that those Barbie fashion designers saw that particular piece of fashion and were inspired by it. And then a Barbie fashion happened. So during COVID, I had all this extra time to literally search through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of designers catwalks during a 60 year period and actually found literal examples of probably the designers actually saw these pictures, right? It was part of their charge um, as designers to be in touch with the culture, reflect the visuals of the culture. So they really were some in the very early years. In fact, they were even sent to Europe and they were paid to sit at fashion shows down the runway. They were paid to sit and take notes and then to come back to Southern California and reinterpret those looks that they saw, those movements, those trends in fashion for Barbie, so that Barbie was always on the cutting edge of what was happening. So this exhibit really does show you a Barbie look, and next to it, either a photograph of something that happened right before the outfit happened, and or a life-size, human-size example of what the designers would have been seeing out on the streets that would then have inspired the little miniature Barbie replicas. Everybody's perception is different. And I would imagine there are some people that think of a Barbie doll as just a Barbie doll. You're coming at it from the fashion perspective. And from what I understand, there's going to be about 250 vintage Barbie artifacts dating from 1959 to 2019, which, yes. is, which is a hell of a spread. But yes. I think some people just like Barbie dolls, the concept of it you're coming, as I mentioned a moment ago, from the fashion perspective. Are there other perspectives with with Barbie that people hadn't thought about in terms of how the look has changed, how just all of a sudden we had the Ken doll as well as the Barbie doll, the sociological aspects of it? Is that another tributary from the concept of the Barbie doll? Yes. I don't think you can divorce the two. For one thing, you can't divorce the culture from fashion, right? I mean, the two are related. And you know, the cross references are inevitable. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, Ken, Ken makes an appearance on the scene, literally not because anyone was really interested in dressing Ken, but because Barbie in, you know, 1961, Barbie needed literally a man to take her to events. And so Ken sort of serves as an accessory for Barbie so that Barbie could go to the dances and have certain outfits to wear to the dances. It was only appropriate that she had a companion. So, yeah, so those cultural moments are fascinating. And, you know, I mean, in terms of fashion and cultural moments, the other thing I found, you know, has been really intriguing are the moments in fashion that Mattel and the designers chose not to embrace. Like in the late 70s, early 80s, we never really saw Barbie wear any version of the punk movement. No ripped jeans or teeny safety pins. None of that really happened for Barbie. And that's interesting in itself, right? Why did they embrace, you know, they embraced the hippie movement fully, 
Um, there are plenty of really wonderful, charming little fringed vests and bell bottoms and patchwork. We see all this, this bohemian movement. But the punk movement wasn't embraced. And, and that's interesting. I don't know what that says, but it's interesting. So, yeah, so the, the, the culture is, you know, definitely woven through this. There's one moment in the exhibition where, you know, we land on the space movement. You know, as we're just starting to explore space, fashion takes on this spacey look. You know, there's a lot of metallic fibers. Silver becomes super popular, very clean, streamlined. Like if we were going to space 2001, this is what, you know, we think space, you know, of course, now looking back, in a way, it still is like what we think of, you know, the fashion movement still has a spacey look that kind of references mid-century still. So, but Barbie totally embraced that space movement. And there's a lot of really wonderful, clean, streamlined what is Barbie going to wear when she travels to outer space? So that is a, you know, an example of a cultural moment in time where, in fact, we were just thinking about going to space and, you know, endeavoring to land on the moon. And and then fashion follows suit in dis- defining what it is that we were going to wear once we got there. So, yeah, that that is that's part of the fun of this. This exhibition is because it is a historical reference, right? There is a timeline and it's quite fascinating to look at Barbie's first 22 outfits in 1959. And then at 60 years later, the sort of things that she was wearing and also how, um, the Barbie silhouette, the Bob, the body silhouette does evolve and change over time. And now, of course, Mattel has embraced diversity to such an extent that there are all sorts of Barbie types and skin colors and hair colors. And, you know, you can get Barbie can come with pink or green hair now, you know, and she's, you know, there's a curvy Barbie, there's a skinny, there's an Asian, every Barbie you can think of nowadays, which was, you know, not what happened in 59. Well, yes, it all changes after a while. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, there, if there's a challenge, and this may be, be beyond your warrant, but it, do you think there's going to be a challenge to Barbie because she represents a certain, and it changes over the decades, but a certain femininity where now there's a, a question about whether you can have a neutral doll that doesn't represent female or male. Is that going to be a challenge for the Barbie doll? I think doll? they've already done that. These are the, In the last few years, they've spent a lot of brain power on how on, on, you know, really trying to embrace all sorts of diverse genders and ethnicities and also combining different genders and ethnicities in certain dolls. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard pressed to find really someone that they haven't represented. There is a doll currently out that doesn't really, that is kind of a, a sexless doll where the clothes are sexless where the the clothes could fit on a male or female and you don't really so so yeah they're there they get that and they've definitely embraced that and that's really fascinating to watch but it is but that's an evolution right and that's that's part of what i you know wanted to express in this exhibit is to let's talk about that evolution that mattel had from 59 to you know 1980 we meet the very first black Barbie doll happens in, in 1980. Um, and that's an interesting, and then, you know, that's sort of the tipping point. And then all sorts of different skin colors really start to happen from there going forward. So you see that happen in the exhibition because there aren't very few black or faces of color um, until you reach that point in the exhibition. There are a few, but not as prevalent as the original 
Caucasian looking Barbie. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a challenge to you. What's your favorite Barbie doll in the collection in the exhibition? Well, I you know because I'm just so fashion oriented, I can tell you that my favorite year for Barbie fashion is 1969, and this is Barbie really gets into the mod groove in 69. It's a little she's a little late to the party because the mod groove really starts happening in the mid 60s. Right. But by 69 she's totally embraced the whole thing. And there are just a plethora wonderful wonderful priceless pieces of mod fashion for Barbie that you know I wish that I had today and I would wear. But so that was that's my favorite year is 69. Interesting. Well, when you were working with the collection, and clearly a lot of it, as you mentioned, is based here in Las Vegas to begin with. So did you have any interaction with Mattel when you were putting together and curating this exhibit? Yes, that is also a fascinating story. So we obtained a license from Mattel to produce this exhibition. So they are totally and wholly involved, and they really signed off on all of the narratives and visuals that we presented. So that was a very interesting process. And I think that it was challenging for me because shockingly, Mattel does not really have an extensive historic corporate archive. So we weren't able to, for instance, so that's why this work of me like pairing a certain look with a certain doll. At first, I thought that I would be able to go to a corporate archive and see like an original pattern or see some notes maybe that were made by the fashion designer or inspirational tear outs from a magazine of the moment or one-offs or samples or any of that stuff that would be supporting primary evidence of my theories. But none of that exists. So that was, so I think that's fascinating to me. And it's very unusual for a brand as large as Mattel is and as old as Mattel is that they have not saved stuff. So it was difficult to prove things, right? It was difficult for me to say, this is my theory because of this and to have them be able to say, yes, that makes sense to us or no, it was, it's, there's no proving it. It's just my theory based on visuals. And there were a few, there are a few um, designers, fashion designers from Mattel that are still with us that we were able to interview. And so we did get some primary source information from them, which was super helpful and fascinating and interesting like, for instance, there's a, a woman named Carol Spencer who worked as a fashion designer for Mattel for, I think it was 35 years. So 35 years is a long time to ask her to remember one single outfit from 1969. But she was, often she does remember, and she has certain things that, that she remembers and she was able to impart and we would share in, in the exhibit. But that was rare. Um, but we did interview who we could. Did you come across any collectors outside of Las Vegas that you were able to talk to and maybe get some help and input in terms of connecting fashion with that particular period of time? Well, in terms of collectors, David's collection, David Percello, his collection is premier. 
And it is, I, I didn't need to reach out to the collectors because David's collection was so extensive. We did, there were a few pieces that David didn't have his, in his collection that I was interested in showcasing for one reason or another that we did have to try to find. And we found those online on eBay or Etsy or whatever after a while, but only because of COVID that we were able to like look for months and months and months and finally something would come up that we could get it and then, and then show it. But there it's, what I learned in doing this research is that this Barbie community is huge. And there are folks that make a living off of Barbie in really interesting ways. Like there are people that will make one-offs for you of little miniature Barbie culture outfits <laughs> that, you know, that could cost 500 bucks or something, but that's, that's their business and that's what they do. And you can special order them. You can design them or they can design, but there are people that just do that kind of stuff. There are people that are expert at refurbishing vintage dolls, repainting faces, fixing the plastic because the plastics have a tendency to degrade over time and get what we call the vinyl disease. And sometimes they get sticky and there's well, ways we all degrade. Them. We all degrade over time. Yeah, even exactly. Even if you're not plastic. So. <laughs> exactly. It's funny. There's... So in the exhibit is, and this is one thing, one very important thing that the Mattel archives did have that we borrowed was what is called the number one Barbie. And the number one Barbie is the first style Barbie um, that was produced. They There are five of them that pretty much look the same, but they're all a little different. And if you're expert, you can tell what the first style, second, third, fourth. So we show the number one Barbie. And that is, in fact, something that is part of the archive that Mattel let us borrow. And that plastic now, 60 plus years later, it is it has sort of a, a green tint to it. It started off very white and not white, but very like pale Caucasian looking. Now it has this really interesting, creepy kind of green tint. But that is just uh, the, the normal process of that particular formulation of plastic aging. And so I think that's interesting to have in the exhibit because it does look different than every other doll going forward, even within the same year. But that number one is, is really interesting. The other thing from the Mattel archive that we did make use of that was very helpful is they did have in the collection numerous early television advertisements. And so we show those in the exhibition. And those, of course, are fascinating in themselves because that is a certain moment in time. They have a certain look. They showcase not just the dolls, but children playing with the dolls typically. And so you see what children looked like, you know, in the early 60s, which, you know, children looked quite different. You know, the whole thing is just a, a unique snapshot of whatever year it was. So we do showcase those in the exhibit. And those were those were super helpful. So I'm glad that those are saved. You must have had a chance to interact with some of the people coming to see the exhibition. I would assume that it's multi-generational. So, for example, you'll have someone who's a uh, an adult, their adult child, and then the adult child's child. So they have the daughter and the, the granddaughter, for example, coming. I'm sure that you have had a chance to talk with some of these people. What's their reaction to this amount of Barbie? Oh, again, over 250 vintage Barbie artifacts dating from 1959 to 2019, some life-size 
and just the whole immersive experience, what's the reaction from some of these people that you've been able to talk with? Yes, you're right. Um, because the footprint of their lifespan is so large, 60 years, basically it's, you know, it's a good three generations. And maybe four even probably four. Yeah. yeah. And so there are plenty of examples of, of grandmothers coming in with with their grandchildren. And but what's cool is my my first question after anyone's walked through the exhibit is, you know, what it was your favorite piece? And it's always something that they remember from their childhood. Right. That they just like totally forgot. And all of a sudden they see it again. Oh, my God, I remember I had that. And that's that's super special. But it's from whatever that your era was eight to 10 to 12 to 14, whatever that, that was. But I think it's real. I think people really have fun just revisiting. And the other thing that has been that it, it always seemed to me super fascinating, but it turns out to be true for most people is that we have a number of cases in the exhibit where we show the, a single Barbie outfit and next to it is the human life-size version of what we feel is the inspiration. And, and, and those are like light bulb moments. And you say, oh, I totally get how that Barbie fashion happened now when you think. And so I like those moments. And, and I think that those select moments as you're moving through the exhibit really are really nice stopping sort of palate cleansing moments. Um, that are enjoyable and also really force you or give you a moment to think and evaluate the significance of the fashion and, and where and why it happened. And the other thing I think for me was important is that you also sort of then have to think about the artisans back at Mattel that were creating these pieces and the challenges in you know, drafting and building a pattern based on a life-size silhouette that's going to look that same way in an 11 and a half, not really human-shaped <laughs> right. figure. Right. And there, there's a real, that's a real art. And, you know, and, you know, you may have to not only translate silhouettes, but you may have to translate fabric patterns. You can't have a check, a life-size check. Once it gets to Barbie size, you have to create and, you know, draw your own fabric patterns. You have to deal with, you know, how do you make closures at that size, teeny size. So, you know, that, all that, you know, the expertise of those fashion designers at Mattel, it's really interesting to me. Are some of the people coming to see the exhibit do they bring some of their Barbie dolls with them to kind of keep them company or to show them to other people attending the exhibition? Has Isn't that happened? It, but I haven't seen that. But I think that what happens is a lot of folks, if they, you know, they go through the exhibit and they remember, because a lot of people still have their Barbie collections, but they're in a box under a bed in the back of the closet. I suspect that a lot of folks go home and find that <laughs> old collection and revisit it, right? I would that, you know, if I had a, that's what I would do. But no, I haven't seen, but I don't know. I'm not there every day. Maybe some folks bring their Barbies and to have a play date with the other Barbies or something. Is there also a decision that you want to, over time, while the exhibit's in Las Vegas and eventually on tour, will you be changing out some of the exhibits and 
for example, so if somebody comes back the second time, they see something they didn't see the first time. That kind of, is that part of the plan? We've done that a little bit. Yeah. When we first launched in October, we didn't yet have what's called the Ultra Vet, Barbie's Ultra Vet. It's a life-size version of Barbie's Ultra Vet from, I think it's the late 70s or early 80s, maybe. And But Illusion designed and made this life-size version of this Corvette, this pink Corvette. And so that we recently put in in the last, I think, 30 days or so. So you can take a picture now with yourself in this pink Corvette. But the other cool thing that is planned as the exhibition travels to other cities, for instance, if we book it at a museum, there's a very cool opportunity for the museum's costume and textile collection to install their own pieces that reference certain Barbie outfits. So, for instance, there's a moment in time in the 60s and then again in the 90s where Barbie embraces a designer called Emilio Pucci. And Emilio Pucci is a um, very famous fashion designer. He was famous for his swirling kind of psychedelic prints. And a lot of fashion collections collect Emilio Pucci because he was such a significant influence um, to the culture. And so if we landed somewhere, it would be cool to pull out and showcase something from that institution's collection and insert it into the Barbie fashion next to the, uh, the Barbie's little poochie dress. And so we're hoping we can do that kind of thing to have so that those institutions can take more ownership of a traveling exhibition and to really make it unique in each city. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are you going to have a little thing just as entertainers when they perform in other cities? They usually have that little intro that says direct from Las Vegas. So will the, when this exhibit starts touring, will Las Vegas get credit as to where uh, it originated? Well, I am not sure, but the Corvette has a license plate that is from Nevada. So I suspect that that will remain. So there will be that. And, and like I said, because the entire there are a few dolls that are from the Mattel archive, but the rest is from a single Las Vegas. And so it, so we really do, we really are represented in this exhibition, Nevada and Las Vegas. Oh, it's great news. Just before I let you go, we have about a minute left, but just so people know your background a little bit, locals know it, but again, we're listening to all over the place. So for people who don't know your background, why don't you just share, share a little bit of it with us? My background is as a costume designer. My, my early career, I worked as a costume designer in Hollywood. And I, at some point in time, left that business and moved to Las Vegas. And when I arrived in Las Vegas, I really fell in love with archival costume collections, starting with the Liberace costume collection. And I have, ever since moving to Vegas, it has been my mission to save, preserve, interpret, and display entertainment costume, especially entertainment costume that have appeared on the stages of Las Vegas. Super unique sort of genre of cabaret costume. And I have been instrumental at the Nevada State Museum Las Vegas in acquiring all of the existing stock of the famous Folie Bergere show that ran at Tropicana 
for many, 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 many years and saving that. And it is now part of the Costume Chefs collection at the Nevada State Museum, Las Vegas. And so, so I continue with my interest in saving and preserving this costume. And I continually find new things to study. And it just, so I, you know, I'm a costume historian. Barbie was sort of a right turn from what I usually do, but I managed to find a fashion segue there. And I, I'm really glad that, I mean, not glad that COVID hit, but I am glad that COVID gave me the opportunity to really research this subject because I, I just have had such great fun with it. And I think that I've created a really interesting legacy, a research legacy for the Mattel archive going forward. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Karen Fetter. She's the curator of the new touring Barbie exhibition, Barbie, a cultural icon, 60 years of fashion and inspiration, located inside the shops at Crystal's and open to the public through March 30th. For ticket information, go to barbieexpo.com. And for everything about Karen Fetter, go to entertainmentexhibitions.com. And Karen, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ira. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Yeah.